All right, all right, here we are yet again with another episode of English and Coffee. It's your wonderful host, Damian. And today I'm joined by a flock of seagulls flying over my car, sitting once again in the Bojangles parking lot. Doing nothing special, except talking to my people, enjoying some off-brand coffee. It's Bojangles coffee. I don't know what kind of coffee it is. Um, I think it's always that same coffee we had last time, the Roasters, the Bowtown Roasters. I added about four creams and maybe five sugars just to give it some life. Coffee I've been drinking at home is just a little bit better as I bought a few uh, syrups and things to go in there, a couple of additions to take it to the next level. But this is what we're sipping on. So we've got a full packet, uh, full packed, fully packed parking lot full of cars out here with people zipping in, zipping out. As the caffeine starts to set in, tongue starts to loosen up, we get into the podcast. I've got a few things that I'm going to share with you today um, related to English, of course. Because I realize not everybody's all into philosophy and self-development, things like this. So this will be a few practical practical phrases and vocabulary you can use and go ahead and incorporate to your existing level of English language at this time. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a few sips and then we'll jump right into it. Drinking through this little sipper cup they have here. It says contents hot. Caution. Very hot. Do not microwave. As if people are just idiots and can't uh, think enough to know not to stick a plastic coffee cup inside of a microwave. But it's neither here nor there. If you're taking your sip, let's go ahead and get into it. All right. So as I said, we're sitting out here in the parking lot. A few people may roll up next to me. Uh, we'll have to play it by ear, keep it easy. But today we're going to go over a few English idioms. I uh, just went online downloaded this book called, uh, what is it, In the Loop, A Reference Guide to American English Idioms. It's free. It's a PDF. Anybody can go there and download it. So I'm giving you that information just in case you want to go up there and try to find it. It's got about 134 pages. But here's the thing. Yeah, you could download this book and sit here and try to rifle through all the idioms and try to figure out what this is, what that is. If you're at that level, fine. Go on in there, grab your 10, 20 a week, make it work. But if not, you may find that it's easier for somebody to just go through here and handpick a few every now and then. So I think today I'll handpick 10. You know, it's they're categorized from A to Z. So I'm going to just go through and pick 10 and we'll kind of jump around. But what I'll do is I'll read the idiom, give you their basic expression of it or understanding of it, and then give you a few examples as to how you can use it. Okay, so let's see... Some of these, I mean, and it, it's strange, you know, it's strange for me when I look at um, what will be interesting to somebody that's learning the English language, because I speak English, I don't think about it, I mean, there's really nothing, I mean, all this stuff in here is self-explanatory to me, because I've been speaking the English for 40-something years, right? It's same with you if you speak Chinese, I mean, somebody, first they're going to have to learn how to read Mandarin, right? Then then they're going to have to learn all the, the phonetics and the sounds, then they're going to have to learn the little... Um, semantics of the language right so being a native english speaker i already have all that so i'm just going to go through and pick some at random that i think uh we use today that make the most sense that are relevant because a lot of these books that i find people study you know about the english language are, are outdated especially when they're studying english outside of the u.s you know they're studying english in you know a country that's just using textbooks from like 1989 Nobody's talking like that anymore. 
course, a few of the words are relevant, a couple of the expressions, but most of those stories and literature written from that time, nobody's even talking like that. So I would say if you want to know what people are saying today, what kind of idioms we're using today, read current topics. So you're talking 2020 to 2022, that type of material that's published and produced during that time. So I'm go and if you do go through an older text, then you'll want, you know, a native speaker to go through and say, look, this is either a good book or a bad book. They can look at it in two seconds and say nobody even talks like this. And, and then that'll just save you, you know, maybe six months of reading some book that you can't even use. So, all right, let's see. Uh, back to the drawing board. Basic, basic expression uh, that we use. I guess it's an idiom. Uh, back to the drawing board. So what does that mean? So it says in here is their, their definition, return to the planning stage of a project. So most people would say back to the drawing board when what you have put together, your thesis, your idea, you've thrown it at the wall and it didn't stick. <laughs> That's another idiom, right? You've thrown it at the wall and it didn't stick. So you have to go back to the drawing board, back to plan A. You have to reorganize, reformat your plan. So let's put that into something that you could apply or see in your actual life. Decide you want to make a cake. You go in the kitchen, you're like, I'm going to make a double fudge chocolate cake, right? You've watched your videos, you've read your little books, and you go in there in the kitchen, and it just does not come out anything like you imagine. The, the cocoa's bitter. It just doesn't taste like, like it should. So you have to scrap that recipe and go back to the drawing board. Let's say another example, a mechanic. You're somebody who works on cars, and maybe you're not even a mechanic, put that in air quotes, but you're somebody who has a passion for working on cars. You like to get under the hood. So let's say one day you go to start your car, you turn it and click, nothing happens. The engine doesn't start. So you go in there and you say, hmm, what could be going on with it? You do your little troubleshooting. You try to figure out, well, this hose is connected. This hose is connected. It has fluid. The battery's charged. What could it be? You go in there, you're like, oh, okay, well, this, this looks a little loose. So you go to your nearest auto store, you buy the replacement part, you put it on, you twist it, reinstall the connectors, you go to start the car. Car doesn't start. So you're like, well, dang, that didn't work. So now you have to go back to the drawing board. Let's look at another one. Mm. Barking up the wrong tree. So their definition is to misdirect one's efforts or argument barking up the wrong tree now yeah you could go with that but how i like to use this this example barking up the wrong tree is when you're asking the wrong person you know let's say you're asking the wrong person or talking to the wrong person so let's say um you you're a kid right you're you're back at home you're living with your parents or your grandparents or whoever raised you right you're living with your parents, and let's say that uh, you ask your grandmother or mother if you can go spend the night at Sarah's. Now, your mother's pretty lenient. You know, she's pretty easy to get along with. She's not as firm as your father or grandfather. And she says, um, well, honey, you're barking up the wrong tree. Go ask your dad. Or, honey, you're barking up the wrong tree. Go ask your grandfather. Because the grandfather's going to be the one with the authority or the dad is going to be the one with the authority, or vice versa. So when you're barking up the wrong tree, you're talking to the wrong person about your complaint or your issue. 
This could even be the same with at work. So when you're wanting a promotion, right, you have the general director, right? Then you have the district manager, right? You have area managers, right? So you have this whole hierarchy of different people at different levels. And each one of them can do different things. One hires the other that hires the other that hires you, right? So if you want to raise, do you think you should talk to your colleague, the person you sit and eat lunch with about it, or your direct supervisor or their supervisor? So if you're talking to the wrong person, you won't get anything accomplished. You have to be talking to the correct person. So in that way, you would be barking up the correct tree. But most people just refer to this expression when you're barking up the wrong tree, when you're talking to the wrong person about something. You're talking to somebody who can't help you with the situation. They can't improve your situation. All they can do is listen and then tell you to go talk to somebody else who can actually do something about it. Let's see. Um, so there's a lot with bees. Let's go ahead and skip down here to C. I mean, we could, we could stay there all day and talk about barking up the tree. Uh, can of worms. Basic. Basic. If you've ever been fishing, right, if you've ever been fishing and you've bought a box or a container of worms, when you open the worms, the worms go squiggling all over the place. Some of them try to crawl out. You know, they fall out. They're alive. It's a lively, lively bundle, right? So when you open a can of worms, you're basically taking the lid off of a situation and then everything just comes squiggling out. You don't know what order is going to come out. It's all over the place. It's all intertwined. It's just a big ball of mess, right? So in life, a can of worms might be something like, let's say there's a situation with you and your wife. You've been a little suspicious of her activity or your husband, and you've been a little suspicious of his activity over the past few days, comes home, doesn't want to cuddle, doesn't want to kiss, doesn't want to do anything intimate. And you suspect that something's going on. You suspect that this individual may have someone else. So after dinner, you say, honey, I would like to talk. They say, what do you want to talk about? You say, well, this week you've been acting a little strange. I've noticed that you've been distant. I've noticed that you don't really cuddle like you used to. You don't compliment me like you used to. What's going on? And they say, well, at that moment, you have opened a can of worms. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. But you've confronted the situation, you've opened a can of worms, especially if the following conversation goes or the following response goes, well, since you asked, there has been somebody at work that's been coming on to me. They've been asking me to go on dates. I've entertained a few of those ideas. We've had long lunches together. We've talked. We haven't done anything physical, but we have been spending amount of time together and you know, there's a good, good, solid relationship there, but nothing intimate. Do you have a problem with that? Now you're sitting here with a situation. This person hasn't physically cheated, but now you're thinking that they've cheated in their mind, which I've heard from some people like that's an actual thing. I don't follow it up, but some people think that that's an actual thing that somebody can cheat with their mind because they figure if you cheat with your mind, the next thing that follows the body, but whatever. Different strokes, different folks. But now that you've asked this question, you've breached the topic. Now it's opened a whole nother series of questions. 
So you've opened up a can of worms and it just gets more confusing as you try to dig through the mess. So that would be opening a can of worms. Um, let's see. Change of heart. That's basic. Chip off the old block. That's basic, but let's go ahead into that one. Chip off the old block. You know, in short, short, in, in, in the fewest words as possible, chip off the old block. So let's say you're a, um, a young man and you're very successful in your business and you take good care of your family and your father did the same thing. So you grew up watching him do that with your mother and somebody tells you you're a chip off the old block. You're pretty much like your dad. Or if you're a very nurturing woman, the same as your mom was when you were growing up, or your grandmother or aunt, whoever raised you, and you have similar, you know, behaviors as she did, um, just the way you act reminds them of someone else, then they might say, hey, you're a chip off the old block, referring to your aunt. You know, you're just like your aunt. You know, she always used to care for people or go out of her way to support somebody. Chip off the old block. Let's see, um, cold feet, scared to do something. So an expression or a time when somebody would say that they were, they had cold feet would be when they're getting married. Let's say you're in love with this person and you're getting ready to go to the altar. You know, you had your bachelorette party, you had your bachelor party, you spent the night with strippers and drank and partied and did all that stuff that people do. Well, that's what they do in American culture. But let's say you did all that. And then here it is the day of the wedding. And it's at 9 o'clock, and here it is, 7 o'clock, and you're throwing up in the bathroom. Your, your guts, you're just throwing up, you're sick, you're nauseous, not hungover from the night before, but just mentally wrecked. You don't know where you're going in life, you're just having this whole complete meltdown. Some would say you're having cold feet about getting married. You know, you're getting nervous about this decision. You're scared, you're afraid. Or another um, context would be somebody who said they want to skydive. It's like, yeah, I want to go skydiving. I'm not afraid to do it. So you book the plane, you and your three friends get on the plane and everybody's like, okay, come on, you ready? And you're like, um, are the, are the, are the bags properly, uh, packed? What do you mean? The pair, are the parachutes in there? Yeah, the parachutes are in there. I mean, did the guy say we can jump? Yeah. Well, what's going to happen when we get, and they're like, what are you getting cold feet? You getting scared? You getting nervous? Cold feet. But let's go ahead and take a sip and we'll take a break and we'll go over a few more. Oh yeah, took that sip down while one of those uh, Walmart trucks passed. I don't even know how many I went over in that one. But let's go over three or four more because I don't want to overload you. I want this to be digestible. I want you to be able to take this little bit and then go ahead and um, try to implement a few of them. Let's see, diamond in the rough, dead to the world, dead to the world, dead to the world, divide the spoils. Doing about face, down in the dumps, down in the mouth, down to the wire. Down to the wire. I like that one. Down to the wire. We're taking this thing down to the wire. Okay, so that's when you work towards the deadline. Meaning, if you have a report or project for work due at a certain time, they tell you it's due on the 13th at 8 o'clock in the morning, and here it is, the 12th you know, and it's 11 o'clock at night and you're still working on the project or the report, you're working down to the wire, down to the last minute. 
right, down to the wire. Or let's just say there's a um, another deadline. There's always a deadline. There's, a, there's an expiration date. So it's time sensitive. When you're down to the wire, it's a time sensitive thing. Meaning, let's just say that you got a notice at home and all of a sudden your rent has been spiked up to $750 a month and you were used to paying $400 a month and you only have 20 days to come up with $750 to make it to the next month and you only have 50 in your pocket and you're doing everything you can to try to get this money so you can pay the rent but just before the last day hits you come up with the money so you were down to the wire the last minute you found the money down to the wire you did everything you could everything within your power to get the money at the last minute you worked down to the wire Let's see, another one. Uh, let's go to another letter here. Let's look at G, possibly. Let's see if we have any uh, good expressions on here. Get a handle on something, get a hold on something, get by. Get a move on, get caught, get a second wind. Second wind, I mean, that's we use second wind all the time. So I wouldn't know about saying, like, get a second wind. You need to get a second wind. But second wind, when we use this expression, we talk about getting that second breath of air. So that means when you're exhausted mentally, maybe even physically, but out of nowhere, you find the strength to go twice the distance you've already covered, right? Whether that's in a relationship or a project, you find another set of mental bandwidth to endure, you know, continue enduring the tough situation, a second win. That could be like a runner who's already done four laps and you can see that they're slowing, but there's just something in that fifth lap that happens and it's just like, where did all this energy come from? This individual got their second win. Or it could be in a, in a fight or something like that. You're watching, you know, one of these nine round matches and the first four rounds, the boxer has just been beaten to a pulp. You know, he's barely hanging on. He's been knocked down twice. One more knockdown will be a technical knockout, but he's just hanging in there. And then in the sixth round, he just turns into freaking Rambo or Rocky and he's just a freaking powerhouse and he's knocking the guy out. He got a second win. He had a chance to recover mentally, physically, and now he's cleaning up. Let's look at one more and then I think we'll cut it because um, I think I've been giving you uh, some of these idioms with idioms in the explanations. Not overwhelming you, uh, but I'm assuming you already have a pretty decent level of English just because you're listening to me at this time um let's see here go out on a limb oh man come on give me something challenging good samaritan green thumb grim reaper grinning barrett half the battle hang up have the last laugh head honcho i mean these aren't even idioms but i guess they are i mean not idioms to me because it's just plain english but Hold the fort. Yeah, I like that one. Hold the fort down. <laughs> hold the fort. So hold the fort would be an idiom or an expression we use when you want to tell somebody that I'm going to lock things down and everything's going to be all right. So to give you context for this, let's say your wife, right? She's the main one that keeps up the house. She's the main one that follows behind the kids. She makes sure everybody's got their homework done. She makes sure the rooms are clean. She makes sure dinner's on the stove, 
All you got to do is go to work, make money, give her the money so that she can take care of the household, right? But now all of a sudden your wife tells you that, honey, me and the girls are going down to Florida for the weekend. Do you think you can hold the fort down? What she's referring to is, do you think that you could keep the house from blowing up while I leave for a few days? You say, yeah, I can hold the fort down. When you say, yeah, I can hold the fort down, that means, yes, I can manage the kids, the home, their work assignments, and cook all the meals without letting the house go up in fire. I can do all that. I can hold the fort down. Or let's say at work. Let's say it's you and your partner. You're working, you know, your law partner, whatever. You, you all are working. Two cops, whatever. You're working as a team, a unit. You do everything together. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of your partners is out sick. You know, they're like, oh, I got COVID, right? Since that's relevant to the situation, they tell you they got COVID. And you know they're going to be out for a month. And they say, hey, look, sorry to leave you in this bad situation. Do you think you can hold the fort down or do we need to bring someone else in? Do you think you can do your share and my share and maintain your sanity? Or do we need to bring in somebody to help offload some of that work? That's holding the fort down. So those are a few idioms and expressions that you can go ahead and incorporate into your use of English today. Uh, they're relevant today. Uh, we use them today. These are expressions that um, you will probably hear in common all the time. Now, just to show you what it would sound like if you were to be somebody who had uh, amassed a collection of idioms. I'm going to just read a few of these idioms, but I'm going to make up a story. And I'm just going to pick and grab a few. And let's see if it makes sense to you. So we'll just go down to the letter, I don't know, M. Fill in M. Let's go down here to M and see what idioms they have. So they have make a long story short, make ends meet, make one's blood boil. Now I haven't explained what those idioms mean, but I'm just going to go ahead and make up a quick little story here so you can hear how it would sound if somebody was to just sit here and talk to you using a bunch of these colloquial expressions. So in order to make a long story short, I'm going to tell you how to make ends meet. But I know some of the things I may say may make one's blood boil. But if it makes your blood, <laughs> blood boil, don't go making a mountain out of a molehill. See, now, typically you wouldn't just get a whole barrage of idioms, but that made complete sense what I just said. So to make a long story short, right, to summarize the main points, make a mountain out of a molehill, to exaggerate the importance of something. So making a mountain out of a molehill, you hear this all the time, especially between husbands and wives or wives and husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends, where one little problem, one little snafu ends up being this long overdrawn argument that just didn't even have to happen. You know, like one small problem Let's say you're, um, let's just say you're a lady, right? Not saying ladies in general, but just, just say you're a lady, right? And you're going on a date, right? And your boyfriend's going to show up at 8 o'clock. You step out the shower at 5. You got your perfume. You get to put your makeup on. You're sitting here, and you got your favorite heels, and, you know, everything's good. You know, everything's all like it should be. And you're going downstairs, and the bottom heel of your uh, the bottom, uh, whatever you call the, um, 
Yeah, the heel of your shoe brakes, right? So you head on your stilettos and the heel brakes. Boom, snaps off. So now you got one heel that works and the other one doesn't. What do you do? Oh, no, I got I to gotta change shoes. But if you change shoes, then you got to change your whole outfit, right? Don't go making a mountain out of a molehill. Because if you got to change shoes and change whole outfit, then you're going to have to redo your makeup. You got to redo your hair because, you know, everything perfectly matched what you had on. So to not make a mountain out of a molehill, you would just put on some flats and call it a day. You just pull out those generic black flats or white flats and, and not make a mountain out of a molehill. But if you got to redo your whole freaking face, redo your whole hair, right, then you have made a mountain out of a molehill. Now, to make ends meet, that means when you're going to, normally you're going to think, think about this in financial terms. So that would be, uh, let's just say two people make it uh, a general, a humble salary for the month, right, for the year. And they're able to pay their bills, but they really don't have much money left over, you know, for extra things. They're not buying no 50-inch screen TV. They're not buying the PS5. They're not doing all these, these extras that take a lot of money. But they have enough to make ends meet, right? That's like a, a family of seven kids. You already know how expensive it is to be a family of no kids, right? But if you have a family of two kids, you're already in the hole, right? You're going in the red. But if you have seven kids, you're going to need government, <laughs> government donations, help from family, help from friends, anybody they can pitch in if you don't have a sufficient enough income. So you're going to do what you can. You're going to do the best you can do to make ends meet. That means you're going to take that one loaf of bread and you're going to spread it amongst those seven children. You're going to take that one gallon of milk and make sure that milk lasts throughout the week so they can eat cereal. Seven kids eating cereal going to school. I mean, they're, they're probably going through a gallon a day, but you're going to take that one gallon and you're going to make it work. You're going to make ends meet. All right. I think I've overloaded you with a few more expressions and idioms there that you can use. Hopefully I gave you some um, context and examples that you can use. I appreciate you all. And I will see you in the next one.